Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. I trust that you have come today saying, God, I want you to do something uh, powerful in my life. Now, let me just tell you that one of the tough things um, for a pastor, you love it when... Um, you love it when God's moving in a great way in a church service. Uh, it's a bit unnerving when you get up and you see uh, what the clock says and, uh, and, and go, oh my goodness, it's already 1127. And, uh, and here's what I know. I know that I have uh, people here uh, that uh, if it gets past noon, uh, that your stomachs will start to grumble. And so uh, I, I want to say the same thing to you that Henry VIII Henry VIII said to many of his wives, I will not keep you long. Um, but I do believe this. I believe that God has a message for you this morning. I, I want to continue what we started last Sunday morning in talking about this issue of being transformed. And, and what Jesus did on the cross, and in more than that, in the resurrection, we have this wonderful privilege, opportunity, joy of living a transformed life. This is the reason why, here's the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He said, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Now, this is a scripture that if you've been around church very much, you've heard, right? It's very familiar. And we often, here's what we'll do, is we'll do not conform to the patterns of this world. And we'll think about that in the context of, well, I no longer live like the old pagan sinner lives. I live the life of a Christian. Uh, therefore, I'm not conforming any longer to the patterns of this world. I wanna talk for just a moment. I believe this. I believe that if you're here as a skeptic, God's got a message for you. If you're here as a seeker, what you're seeking, you're gonna to find today. And, and, and I believe this, I believe those of you that are here that you've grown up in the church and you already have the answers to all the questions, I believe this, I believe that God has a message for you today. And here's the challenge, I wanna take just a moment and talk to you, those of you that are second and third generation Christians. Because your world, the patterns of your world have been this Christian culture, right? And so you know the lingo, you understand the dress, you fit into the culture. When you came in here this morning, when people started raising your hands, you didn't freak out. When you heard somebody speaking in a different language, you didn't go, is that Hebrew? You knew what was going on, okay? You understand the interaction, right? You know the secret Christian handshake. You get it. And, and you can describe a church service. You know how the church service is gonna go before you ever come in, right? Because here's what we know. Here's the church service. Happy song, happy song, sad song. Right? Prayer time, welcome announcements, offering, big musical number for the offertory. Pastor comes up and speaks for a while, and then he goes into that low, slow flow, and you know that he's landing the plane. And then there's a prayer, maybe you come to the altar, maybe not, and then you go home, right? We, we've done it. We know the drill. Well, here's what God says to you do not conform to some simple pattern. And for far too many people, what life is, it's a pattern. You're a creature of habit. Here's what I know. I know that Frank and Fressy are going to be sitting right here because that's where they sit every Sunday. It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a point of habit. Don't sit there. Frank will throw you out of that spot. <laughs> no. 
And in fact, most of you, you don't just sit in the same spot every Sunday, you park in the same spot every Sunday, and you get here the same time every Sunday. And for those of you that get here the same time every Sunday, we actually start at 10.30. I'm just saying. I know you like the fact that the lights are a little bit lower because we, we don't see you. Wrong. We know who you are. And so we are people, we are creatures of habit and we're, we're people of pattern. And just because, listen to me, just because your pattern isn't to go out and get drunk on Saturday night, just because your pattern isn't to cheat on this, cheat on that, that, doesn't not, that does not make you some wonderful, glorious, you know, four-star Christian. Just because your pattern, your culture is quasi-moral, even though your lingo is quasi-pious. In fact, when Jesus makes a statement, many will say, Lord, did, not, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And he, and he says, I, I will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, whatever those patterns are, but be transformed. Over the next few weeks, we're going we're to look at some people in Scripture who, whose lives were transformed. And, and the lesson that there is for us, the, the opportunity that there is for us. I, I want to talk to you this morning about Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And, uh, and, and, and learn a little bit from that. It, it, you know what I've, what I've come to realize is this, is that we're natural questioners. We are. We're, we're, we're natural questioners. We're, we're naturally curious. And and doubt comes easy, doesn't it? Come on now, okay. Let's, let's be honest with one another. Doubt comes easy, doesn't it? Sure it does. One of, one of the earliest things we learn is this question of why? Why, 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 why? And doubt comes very easy. Let me explain to you why that is. Okay? And I, I love this quote. Martin Luther said this. He said, that knowledge and doubt are inseparable to man, that only God and certain madmen have no doubts. Anybody here have no doubts? Yeah, I didn't think I would get a response to that after I just told you that Luther said that only God and certain madmen, because you'd either be saying that you're, that you're God or you're a madman. And, uh, and here's the reason why doubt comes natural. It's because of this. It's because of the work of the enemy, okay? And here's what we know. We know that temptation is common to man, correct? Isn't that what scripture tells us? That temptation is common to man. And we also know this, that Satan is consistent in what he does. And what Satan uses is Satan uses, if you've been at Calvary at all, you've heard me talk about this, that Satan uses the scheme of the question, right? That's what he did. When original sin took place, Satan 
pulled man in through the scheme of the question. So even in the creation process, we see this issue, the scheme of the question. And that's what Satan does, is he constantly is barraging you with questions. Well, what about this? What about that? Did God really say? Can you trust? Can you? And so because you're constantly having these questions coming at you, it only seems natural that those questions would cause us to go, hmm, hey, right? And so it's, it's, part of, it's part of the process. It's part of the journey. But here's the good news. The good news is, is this, is that because God's word declares that all things work together for good, all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even this questioning, even this issue of doubt, God uses for our good and for our glory because God understands my humanity. He understands your humanity. And so what God does is God uses this issue of doubt. I love Thomas. Is just, he's a great example of this because Thomas, Thomas is a doubter. And, and, and Thomas doesn't just doubt when Jesus is crucified. Thomas consistently demonstrates doubt. We see in scripture, it records four times that Thomas spoke. The first time is in John chapter 11. Jesus has heard that Lazarus has died and they're gonna go to him. And Thomas, in hearing about Lazarus's death, Thomas speaks up and he says, let's go to where Lazarus is, not Hey, let's go to where Lazarus is and let's watch Jesus do a miracle. No, here's what Thomas says. Let's go to where Lazarus is that we may die with him. Right? It's an interesting, there's an interesting dichotomy in what he says. There's some courage there. Let's go because, listen, if that's what is for us, if that's the destiny that God has for us, then let's do it. But there's also the, yeah, nothing big's going to happen. Hey, he died. We're going to die. Everybody's going to die. Okay? That's Thomas. The second time we hear Thomas speak is in John chapter 14. When Jesus says this, he says, listen, I am going away to prepare a place for you and where I'm going, you will go also. And Thomas goes, uh, whoa, Jesus, uh, we don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, we don't know how to get there. And if we don't know how to get there, how are we supposed to get there? The third time. The disciples are talking about seeing a resurrected Savior. And Thomas goes, I don't think so. Unless I can see it myself, unless I see Jesus standing with the nail prints in his hand, where he was pierced through in his side, I'm not buying it. And when Jesus appears a week later, a week goes by. When Jesus appears a week later, he says, Thomas, come here. I want you to touch right here. He says, no, I want you to stop doubting and believe. And we, we, we hear Thomas speak the fourth time. And here's what he says. My God. Thomas goes from doubting Thomas to Apostle Thomas 
None of the disciples travel, travel further in ministry than Thomas. Thomas goes to Persia all the way in his missionary endeavors, makes it all the way to northern India, where he, where he dies as a missionary. And, and I, I, love, I love the fact that, that God's response to Thomas is an encouraging response, not, not a judgmental response. And if Thomas the doubter can become Thomas the apostle, if Thomas dealt with doubt and overcame it, then I'm convinced that each one of us, that we can deal with our doubt and with the transformational work of Jesus, with the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we can deal with the doubt in our life and overcome it. And as a result of that doubt, it can make us stronger. I'm convinced of that. In fact, let, let, me, let, me, let me demonstrate that. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. I want you to open to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Now, most of the Psalms, they're, they're songs that are written. And most of the Psalms were written by David. A few of them were written by others. For example, Psalm 90 was actually written by Moses. Psalm 77 was written by a young man who was, he was the grandson of the prophet Samuel. And his name is Asaph. And Asaph is going through just an interesting time and an interesting uh, season. And, and Asaph, he actually wrote a few of the chapters of Psalm. And Psalm 77 is, is one that, that he wrote. And, and I want you to listen as, as Asaph shares some of his doubts in, in the 77th Psalm. And, and when, when you hear this, okay, you'll, you'll hear his words. And in his words, the agony and, and the angst of his struggle. And, and you, can, you can hear his brutal honesty and his, and his questions that he brings to God. L listen to this in Psalm 77. He says this, I cry aloud to God. I cry aloud and he hears me. In, in times of trouble, I, I pray to the Lord. All night long, I lift my hands in prayer. I cannot find comfort. When I think of God, I sigh. And when I meditate, I feel discouraged. He keeps me awake all night. I am so worried that I cannot speak. I think of days gone by and, and remember years of long ago. I, I spend the night in deep thoughts. I, I meditate and, and this is what I ask myself. Will the Lord always reject us? Will he never again be pleased with us? Has he stopped loving us? Does his promises no longer stand? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has anger taken the place of his compassion? Let those questions sink in for a moment. There's a common thread that ties all of these questions together. It's the thread of doubt, right? Will God reject us forever? Do his promises no longer stand? Has God forgotten how to be merciful? It's honest questions. Honest questions that, that friends, that we have to deal with. Because life, life is not always easy. And, and when, you, when you make the decision to be a Christ follower, all of the challenges and all 
the difficulties don't just go away. On Wednesday afternoon, I will, I will officiate the memorial service for a two-year-old little girl who drowned in a pool over the weekend. Tomorrow afternoon, I will spend time with that family, grieving parents, grieving grandparents, grieving aunts and uncles. And when you find yourself in those situations, question is inevitable. And it is, it is easy in fact, it's even somewhat natural for doubt to creep in. If you find yourself in a situation like that and it doesn't at least bring question to your mind, something's wrong. It's natural, it's human to go, God, why? Why, God? And, and here's what I love. I love this. Seeing how God responded to Thomas helps us understand how God responds to us when we have those questions, when, they ha when we have those doubts. And, and listen, friend, the fact that you have questions, that fact that you have doubts does not make you a lesser Christian. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. Here's what it makes you. It makes you real. In fact, I believe this. I believe one of the tragic flaws in much of the church today is the denial of that reality and the unwillingness that we have to honestly acknowledge our doubts. Because what happens is this. Because we don't honestly talk about our doubts, the enemy uses the doubts that those around us have to convince them that they're not the Christ follower that they should be or maybe God isn't who he claims to be. And it becomes this vicious trap. I think Martin Luther is right when he says that knowledge and doubt are inseparable to man. The only God and certain madmen have no doubts. So as I began to prepare for the message today, there was, there was this question that kept going uh, through my mind. And when it comes to this whole issue of, of doubt and internal struggle. And the question is this. So God being sovereign, why didn't God make it easier? Why didn't God make it easier for us? Why is it that when you became a, become a follower of Christ, why doesn't he just, just drop in the mail a, a big blueprint for the rest of our lives? right? Answer every question, okay? Or, or, or why, when we face a crisis, why doesn't he uh, send an email that explains all of his purposes? Or at least give me an 800 number, right? So anytime I want to, I can call, get hold of an angel and go, okay, um, yeah, Michael, uh, I want you to, what, what, what's the deal with this? And here's Here's, here's the conclusion that I've come to. That the reason that God doesn't make it easier is because that he knows us. He knows our nature and he knows our tendency 
And God knows that when life is easy and when everything is making sense and we're comfortable and we've got everything all kind of buttoned down that our tendency is to forget God. And in fact, that's exactly what he says to the, to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6 when they're about to enter the promised land. Listen to this. He says this. He says, when you go into the promised land and you live in cities that you did not build and you move into houses you did not build and you drink water from wells that you did not dig and you eat from vineyards that you did not plant, be careful that you don't forget the Lord. See, it is our nature to want answers. It is our nature to look for reasons. But it's God's nature to focus on relationship. Let me say that again, because if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to get that. It's our nature to look for reasons. Why, 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 why? Why, God? And, and here's what God does, is God doesn't focus on the reasons. God doesn't focus on the why. He focuses on the who. It's our nature to look for reasons. It's God's nature to focus on relationship. And we find this, when we reach the point that we don't have an answer for the reasons, that puts us at a place where we have to grab hold of God. And that's where he wants us, that's where he wants us to be. But we want an explanation. That's how we're wired. We, we want to be able to connect all the dots. We're very much like Thomas. I, I'm not going to believe unless I see him myself, unless I can put my hands in the nail prints in his hands, unless I can feel the scar in his side. And Jesus' response to Thomas is very telling. You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. Jesus puts a higher premium on faith than on visible proof. Why? Because he focuses on relationships. But doubt, let me, let me just talk about doubt. There's, there, here, here's the upside to doubt, okay? The upside to doubt, uh, three, three benefits to doubt. Number one is this, doubt drives us to God right? Doubt drives us to God. When all of a sudden my life is turned upside down and something doesn't make sense, when I'm facing a crisis, I, I'm, I'm more apt to, to look and seek God's help and God's presence, right? I'm more apt to spend time thinking about God and talking to God. One of the, one of the things I love about th this, this portion of scripture, Psalm 77, that I had you go to is this, is that Asaph begins, begins in verse one with these words, I cry aloud to God, I cry aloud, and he hears me. Now Asaph has big doubts, Right? He, he acknowledges those doubts later in, in, in Psalm 77. But he begins, he says, I cry aloud to God, I cry aloud, and he hears me. He has soul-shaking questions. And in those soul-shaking questions, what is his natural path? His natural path is to go to God. Now listen, we may, we may go to God in prayer, we may go to God in anger. We may go to God simply to tell God off. But doubt, doubt seems to always drive us to God. The second thing that doubt does is doubt forces us to deal with life's difficult questions. Most of us don't enjoy doing that. Most of us 
live in the realm of denial and deflection. Very few people like to deal with conflict and struggle, right? Husbands and wives, let's, let's talk about how it goes at home. Hey, we've got this problem. Yeah, let's talk about that later. Is that your fallback? Yeah, if it is, you're not alone. That's the way that most of us live. Uh, we, can, we can deal with that later. We can talk about that later. It's, it's not a problem. Did, did, you not, did you not see the flashing red light on the dash? Well, yeah, I just thought it was a suggestion. Well, we need to talk about this. Can we talk about it later? Somebody in the room just went, how did he know that happened at our house this week? Right? See, when we're, when we're walking along and everything's going well, and we tend to live at a surface level. But you want to get beneath the surface with God? Have a doctor talk to you about cancer. You, you, want, to, you want to get below the surface with God? Get the phone call that, that someone who's dear for you unexpectedly passed from time into eternity. You want to get real with God? Have that conversation with your supervisor at work that, I'm sorry, just business is down and so we're going to have to let you go. That, that's when we move from the surface level and we, we start to drill down. And, and, and oftentimes the motivation behind that drilling down and getting deep is because of these questions, because of these doubts, right? So doubts, they, 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 they drive us to God and, and they, they force us to deal with life's difficult questions. And then in dealing with life's difficult questions, what happens is this, is doubt, when, when, when we go through a time of doubt and, and then we come out the other side, our faith is stronger. See, doubt is actually a catalyst that, that feeds our faith. Doubt plus surrender equals trust. And trust equals freedom. And so we walk through it. Um, and so how do we do that, though? How, how, do, how, do, how do we walk through it? Well, here, here's what I find in Psalm 77. Three things real quickly. My time's well past gone, so I need to hurry. It, number one is this. Remember God's track record. Remember God's track record. Okay? This is about stepping back and looking at the big picture. In Psalm 77, the 11th verse, it says this. I recall all that you've done, O Lord. I, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I, I cannot stop thinking about them. And memory, friend, it, 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 is, a, it is an ally to faith. God has an amazing track record in your life and my life of faithfulness. And even when, even when I don't understand that, even, even when I have doubts, God has this track record of being a, a faithful God. I, I was talking to somebody even this morning who had, who, had just, uh, who had just flown back into Orlando. And I asked them the question. I said, were you, were you nervous? Were you worried on the plane? Uh, no. I said, really? You're basically in the equivalent of an oversized Coke can traveling at 600 miles an hour, 30,000 feet in the air. No fear. No. Why not? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, 
have this relationship with God and, and God shows up. Number two, you know, the airlines, they do this all the time. There are thousands of flights that are going every day and planes just don't fall out of the sky, right? And so uh, if you had to go and, and, and get on a, an, a, an airplane tomorrow, chances are, if you're like most people, you're not going to have a, a whole lot of fear, right? Because American Airlines didn't have 27 planes drop out of the sky yesterday. Now, what happens if American Airlines has 27 airlines, 27 planes drop out of the sky today? Anybody want to fly tomorrow? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? But because of their track record, because of their consistent track record, you go, yeah. You know, I understand there's a little bit of risk because we're flying through the air in an oversized Coke can, but within reason, I'm, I'm good. And so when we think about God's track record, right? That's what Asaph says. When I think about your wondrous deeds, I constantly think about them. Some, some translations put it this way. I meditate on your wonderful works. I ponder them because they are true. And these stories in the Bible that are, that are historically verifiable, right? God brings Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And two million people come out of bondage. The Red Sea parts and they walk across on dry land. They go from being in bondage to Pharaoh to walking into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into this flaming furnace and they are not consumed. In fact, not only are they not consumed, those three young Hebrew boys are thrown into a fiery furnace, but when King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, looks in, he doesn't see three in the fire, he sees four and one looks as if he's a god. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's friend, Daniel, is thrown into the lion's den and, and God does this, he closes the mouth of the lion. And we have story after story after story after story after story that historically have been proven true. And there's this historical track record. Then there's also the track record in our own life. That's why David says in Psalm 52, I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you. And what, what King David is doing, he's, he's thinking about back on God's track record. Romans 15 tells us this. It says, it says, for everything that is written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know why God put all this stuff in the Bible? The reason he put all this stuff in the Bible is this, is so that you would see it and that, and, and that you would understand his track record and it would give you encouragement and hope. And, and what that does is, is this, it leads us, it leads us to, to praise him. So, so when I find myself in situations of doubt, number one is this, I, it's good for me to remember God's track record. And, and number two, it's, it's good for me to focus on God's trust and power. And, and going, back to, going back to Ace of Psalms, Psalm 77, he says this, Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. I love that. You're the God of miracles and wonders. When, when, you, when you think of God's, the miracles and the wonders of God, here, here's a great passage, uh, uh, Isaiah 40. To whom will you compare me, God says, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? 
right? So Isaiah 40 encourages us to look to the heavens. So just real quickly, let's consider the sun for a moment. The sun, you guys familiar with it? Yeah, and uh, the sun. So the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. That's a good thing. You know why? Because if the sun were 80 million miles away from the earth, we would all burn up. If the sun were 100 million miles away from earth, we would all freeze to death. And yet the sun is exactly where it needs to be. The sun weighs 333,000 times what the earth weighs. If you take the size of the earth, if you were to drop earths into the sun, it would fit, the earth would fit in, in the space of the sun 1.3 million times. It's a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? Yeah, but let, let's, let's, uh, let's, go, let's go a little bit further out. I, I want to take you to, uh, to, the, to the, uh, the Orion constellation. Hey, there's this star in the Orion constellation, uh, um, Alpha Orion. It's actually, it's also uh, known by Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is 600 light years away. Now, a light year, light travels in a year 5.66 trillion miles. So you take 5.66, multiply that times 600, that's how far away this star is. But you can see this star if you go out and you look in the nighttime sky. It looks kind of like this. Well, it's not quite that big when you're looking at it in the nighttime sky. But this, this star, okay, it is 100 times the size, not of the earth. Remember, the earth is, the sun is 1.3 million times the size of the earth. This star is 1,000 times the size of the sun. If it were in the Milky Way galaxy, it would stretch from here all the way to Jupiter, Okay, that's not the edge. Let me take you out a little bit further. The ring nebula, the ring nebula. The ring nebula is 2000 light years away. And the cool thing about the ring nebula is this, is the way that it sits in the universe, we can, we can look down the middle of it, okay? And the, the ring nebula, if you look uh, in the center of it, you see a white dot, right? See that white dot in the, in the center of the ring nebula? Okay, that white dot is a dying star that is emitting gases that create this, all of this color. Okay, and, and that which you can see in the nighttime sky is 2,000 times 5.88 trillion miles away. So here's what, here's what it says in the Bible. The heavens tell the glory of God. The skies display his marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak it. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies, yet their message has gone out to all the earth and all the worlds. Okay, I, 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 want, I want you to consider one more. The spiral galaxy. The spiral galaxy is 30 million light years away. They say that if you were to count the stars in the spiral galaxy, that there are as many stars in this galaxy as there are grains of sand on the planet Earth. 
Friends, that's how big God is. Okay, that's how big God is. He's got you. And so here's what I do. In, when I have a doubt and when I look at how big my problem is, I, I have to understand this is how big God is. And so when I consider God's track record that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread, when I consider the, 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 the God's track record and then, I, and then I consider the character and the power of God, and the majesty of God, here's what it does. It causes me to want to celebrate, to realize, to step in to the promise that God has for me. Right? Going back to, to Psalm 77, here's what Asaph says. He says, you have redeemed your people by your strength. Redeemed. That word's kind of a, it's kind of a churchy word. And, and, and oftentimes we'll hear these words and we're not real sure what they mean. But redeem means this, it means bought back, okay? You have bought back your people by your strength. We've been given eternal life. We've been spiritually changed and, and transformed. Titus says this, it says, we are filled with hope as we wait for the glorious, glorious return of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know we know how it ends. We, we know that we can celebrate. I, I shared this scripture last Sunday. Where Peter says, praise be, the, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I'm going to close with this story. Uh, Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, he, he interviews uh, Admiral James Stockdale. You may remember that name. He was, um, he was Ross Perot's running mate a number of years ago. Uh, he, he is vice president. James Stockdale is, uh, is one of the great war heroes of our nation. He, he was the highest ranking official to be a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. In fact, he spent a number of years in the prison camp that was known as the, the Hanoi Hilton. And he was brutally beaten time after time after time. So much so that it left him crippled for the rest of his life until he, he, he passed away in, in 2005. And and in, in, in an interview when he was asked, in all that you endured, all of the torture that you endured, all of the hardship that you went through in years in this prison camp, how, how did you make it? And, and I, love, I love what Admiral, Admiral Stockdale said. He said this, he said, I never lost sight of the end of the story. I never lost sight of the end of the story. He said, not only was I absolutely convinced that I would be rescued, but I knew that everything that was happening to me, that it was gonna be part of the definition of who I am as a man. 
And then it would be used for a positive in my future. I never lost sight of the end of the story. I think it's easy in the, in the midst of a battle. I think it's easy when we find ourselves in a tough situation. You become so focused on the moment. And to get so caught up in the struggle. That we forget about the end of the story. We, we lose sight of, of God's character and power. Because somehow his track record slips from our remembrance. But each one of us, even those of us who are here this morning and are going through a difficult time, even if you were to stop right now and, and set aside your current difficulty and think about your history with God, you can see his hand. You have to acknowledge his provision. Yeah. You know of his deliverance. You've, you firsthand have, have walked through healing. He's the same God with the same glory, with the with the same intention. So step back from your current situation. Put a pause button on this soundtrack of, of questions that the enemy is just dumping on you, one after another. And take a moment and allow yourself to do what Asaph did. In the midst of the questions, does, does God care? Do his promises still stand? Has he somehow forgotten us or forgotten how to deliver us? In the midst of those questions, God, I, I remember all that you've done throughout history and and God, I acknowledge all that you've done in my life and the, the miracles that you've done and the, the provision that you've brought and the restoration that has happened that even has gotten me to this point. And God, here's what I know about you. Even though at times I may question you, you are consistent. Your character is consistent. And your power is without question. And because of your track record, and because of your character and ability, and because of your promises, in the midst of my doubt, 
I can grab hold of you. Friend, you're in a room full of doubters. And I stand before you as one of the doubters. But in that, in acknowledging my humanness, here's what I'm committed to. That I'm not going to let my doubt defeat me. Mm -mm. I'm going to use that doubt to drive me to God and force me to deal with life's tough stuff. And as a result, see my faith strengthened. Because I know, I know God's track record. I'm confident of both his character and his power. And because of his promises, I can realize, acknowledge, and even celebrate my future. Even when I'm stuck in a tough spot in the moment. Fellow doubter, he knows your doubts. He knows your doubts. And just as he didn't reject Thomas, he's not going to reject you. Even how he used doubting Thomas to become disciple Thomas, to become missionary Thomas, God has a destiny for you. Don't let doubts defeat you as you walk through those doubts and come out the other side. Let that journey define you. And you'll stand. And you'll stand strong. In India, they don't call him Doubting Thomas. You know what they call him? They call him St. Thomas. That's how he's remembered. For those lives that he impacted, for those cultures that he changed, for those generations that know, that know Christ, that's how he's remembered.